Hello and welcome to this week's Gig Stories podcast with me, Chris. And Alex, of course. How are you all? Hope you are well. How are you doing, Chris? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, not bad. The sun's shining. And listeners, you will probably uh, immediately tell the difference. Chris has got a fancy new microphone and a pop shield. So you'll be hearing no syllabants from Chris. There'll be no... They'll all be from Alex, as usual. They'll all be from me. He's looking smart as well. He's had a father and son haircut. He hasn't had both the haircuts in one. No, my son had the other one. You you are looking good today, mate. Bless you. Bless you. Are you going somewhere? I'm going to go up to Bonnie, Scotland tomorrow. Oh, yes. Oh, actually, yeah, this is exciting for both of us because you're off, you're off up north to see your family. I'm off to the borders. And I'm off down south for the first time in a long, long time to see my mum. To see your ticket collection. Exactly. That's why. No, the important thing about this is that I get to see my mum. And then I get to go up in the attic and save my scrapbook with all my ticket stubs. So you've had to put up with and I've had to put up with just Chris's reference book and soon we're going to get mine i honestly can't wait i can't wait to show you my michael jackson ticket relevant to today's episode you too because i remember those two looking great and the one that i really treasure that james and radiohead newport center they were very blah plain tickets but it's 93 uh, yeah oh uh, next to the shaman which was yeah. the, the, the same the same year well you know i've been um delaying making a page on the website um with uh images of tickets and ticket stubs mm. that that people have sent in yeah. uh, until we manage to get images of yours so oh, yes. um, once we've got yours then i will start that page and then we can maybe start this massive wall of tickets um because oh. i yeah i want to get all mine photographed and up there and um, just for reference, really. I mean, I've That's got my spre- I've got my scrapbook and I've got my my spreadsheet, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I want it in. You know, it's it, consider it the cloud. You know, I'm, I'm putting cloud. it on the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> like that, I like that. Yeah. So, where are we this week? Well, this week in history, in music history, and it's impossible to ignore our situation, and we say this a lot, but also. Uh, I don't want to ignore it because it's a moment in time. And, you know, when we're old granddads or whatever, just old blokes and we listen back, it'd be nice to hear where we are, where, where we were and what we were doing. On the weekend, I was one of the people that couldn't get onto the Glastonbury live stream experience <laughs> until two yeah, hours. I felt so in. sorry for them. I felt oh, so sorry my, for Glastonbury. I, I did. I, I messaged um, uh, Chris. Everyone's called Chris, aren't they? Hmm. Um who, who works for the festival and just said, uh, he he also does their social media. And I just said, I am so sorry, mate. <laughs> you are, must be having a nightmare. But that aside, the stream was fantastic. The performances were just brilliant. It, yeah. it was it, it was high definition. It, it was atmospheric. Wolf Alice. Oh my goodness me. I've, I've always liked them, but they were just incredible and and it just it made me miss the festival and just want to get back to 
live music. So in fact, on the weekend after watching Glastonbury, I then went through all the listings, live listings and gigs for Manchester, marked the ones I'd like to go and see, checked which ones were on sale, which ones had sold out. Uh, I just I just can't wait to get out there. And what makes me even more excited, did you see yesterday, Chris, that the government have announced another trial event, which is going to be download. A festival-based uh, experiment. Yes, yes, yes. And what I gather, and I'm sorry if I get the numbers wrong, but I believe it's going to be 10,000. It will be a three-day event, and they will be camping. What's the normal um, capacity for download? Is it like five Huge. times that amount or more? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big one. It's, it's annoying because I've been. It was it was one of my first fest. I was there in '95 when Metallica flew in just to do it. Um, in my heavy metal days, um, I, but as it's now become don't because it was Monsters of Rock then. It's now download. I'm not sure what the capacity is, but it's a hell of a lot more than ten thousand. Um, and they're doing the usual tests before, tests after, and it's the end of June, mate. So, yeah, which which we thought kind of when we first started this podcast, we thought end of June, not a chance. I, I'm still cynical because can they just jump from that straight into, I, I don't know, places like uh, Kendall Calling that are in uh, July. Can't think of any others in July. Apologies. And you, you mentioned to me before we started Latitude have announced this very morning their headline. Yeah. yeah. Um, who, who are they? But it's uh, headliners. Uh, just some names popped into my head. I know that Bombay Bicycle Club are playing. Um, because uh, are we sticking with British artists? That's going to be of interest to me. Are I they going to so. be a lot of British artists so that they're not traveling in from abroad and, you know, potentially stuck? So off the top of my head, I think they are. Yeah. Okay. So there's our regular documentation on the Gig Stories podcast of our current state. I was just going to say, um, Alex. Yeah. Uh, are you? I think you are in still in your metal phase because you're looking like a mm. member of um, Faith No More at the moment. Oh, mate, I'm so glad you said Faith No More because I was worried you were going to say Limp Biscuit. That was sorry. Did I say Faith No More? Sorry, I meant yes. Limp Biscuit. Damn you! Damn you! <laughs> Yeah, look, I've been painting and stripping uh, wallpaper, not just painting and then ba da ba 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 da ba ba. Oh my god, there's a limp biscuit right there. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I'm in my my decorating hoodie and my baseball cap. That for my amusement, listener, I have turned backwards because it's amazing how easily I can embarrass Chris on a Zoom call. It's like, yeah. it's like when well, it's I just us. embarrass my child. And, yeah. and just to make it even better for Chris, I'm going to turn the cap sideways. Because, I mean, no one can see me. I've got no pride. It's just Chris. Yeah. But he'll still feel awful. I'm surprised. You, are your jeans the wrong way around? You look like a member of Chris Cross. Chris Cross. Yeah. Chris Cross, who, by the way, supported michael jackson in the arms park when i went wow. to see it's the circle Chris of Cross life and rosala have some of everybody's that. free yes they not quite sadly right but there's there's sunshine at the end of the tunnel well your cap sorry i was just going to say your cap i i heard yeah. the most 
ridiculous um, BBC Sounds trailer yesterday. And oh, really? it, yeah, it's about um, Shergar, you know, the racehorse that went missing. Yes. Yeah. And it, it, there's going to be a documentary on BBC Sounds. Um, and uh, and I think there's an excerpt there from Claire Balding, obviously, because she was a of racing course. correspondent and, you know, massively yep. um, in that, that world. And um, I think maybe Cornelius Lysett was was talking there. I can't, I can't remember all the different characters. Um, right. I, if I give you a thousand guesses as to who is presenting this documentary, I don't think you would get it. You said baseball cap. Who wears a baseball cap? I'm not even sure if he does wear a baseball cap, but there's oh, that kind of vibe hat. about him. No, I'm going to have to tell you. Go on. Vanilla Ice. What now? <laughs> Vanilla mm-hmm. Ice. No, um, t- try and find... I-, I don't know how you would find a trailer on BBC Sound, but yeah. I, no, you're, I, you're, you're having... No, I had to put down my tea as I was editing yesterday. Vanilla uh, Ice? V- Vanilla Ice is... I, well, he's certainly the um, voiceover doing the um, doing on. the trailer. on Sugar, Vanilla Ice and Claire Balding. It's, yeah, it's the combo that we, we didn't know we needed, but we certainly do. All right, stop. Collaborate and listen. Ice is back with my brand new invention. Do you know that's my karaoke? Is it? Okay. I know I'm, all the words. I'm just trying to find out if I can mute you for the podcast <laughs> just let, just let me just second. tell you let me just... right let me just tell you vanilla ice so uh, back in my cbb's days uh, for any of you listeners who are aware of my cbb's days katie who actually is still on cbb's she was telling us she did panto one year with mr is it van winkle is that his name robert yeah. van winkle robert van winkle it? yeah vanilla ice and she said it was so funny because they were sat down having notes after a rehearsal. And the mood was, she said, the mood was just a bit, just a bit low. And then there was just sort of a bit of silence. And she said, I kid you not. He just jumped up and went, all right, stop, collaborate. And, and just did the song. Really? And I just wouldn't have known what to do with that. Now, Katie is amazing and spontaneous. So she just jumped up and joined in because she said it was of course she did. her life. Yeah. But how funny is that? Vanilla Ice is like, hey, I got this, guys. Your face? Is that a frown on your face? Let me turn that frown upside down. Yeah. And he does his stuff. Gotta, gotta love him. Wow. Rest in peace. Robert There's Brown. no off switch. There's no off switch, is there? <laughs> but by the way, just for legal reasons, he's, he's, he's not dead. Vanilla Ice is very much alive. Yeah. Uh, unlike Sugar. So anyway, on <laughs> to... Wow, this took a turn. I tell you what, if we don't win, if we don't win awards for this podcast, mate. I tell you, there's something wrong, isn't there? Yeah, something, <laughs> something wrong. Yeah. So, take us on to today's uh, episode, Chris. Oh, our guest this week, fantastic, the wonderful Johnny Calcy. Um, so Johnny Calcy founded the Doll Foundation. He um, worked with Transglobal Underground, um, The Imagined Village. He's worked with Peter Gabriel, Sinead O'Connor, um, Tom Jones, uh, Asian Dub Foundation. It, it's just a ridiculous CV, and he is just the most beautiful, lovely man um, who is just making me feel spiritual just about 
just talking about him. It was. It, it was one of the most uplifting conversations I've ever had. And I've yeah. never met him. And so many kind of coincidences. Um, and he wouldn't call them coincidences. He would just say, it's the universe. It's about manifestation and the universe. Yeah. But I'm not going to start kind of paraphrasing Johnny Kelsey. I think it's no. best that you just listen to him be Johnny Kelsey. Welcome to the Gig Stories podcast with me, Chris, and... Me, I am still Alex. Chris, I am still Alex this week. You are, bless you. Today's guest is a former member of Trans Global Underground, current member of Afro-Celt Sound System, the Imagined Village, and founder member of the Doll Foundation. He's recorded or played with Sinead O'Connor, Peter Gabriel, Avril Lavigne, Tom Jones. It's Johnny Kelsey. Johnny, how are you doing, man? Really good, Chris. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. I mean, the temptation for me to not just jump straight into my countryman, Tom Jones, Johnny, is just... I've been wanting to ask you about Tom Jones, but maybe I'll play it cool. Hey, Johnny, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm really good, yeah. Tom's... He's he's an absolute gentleman. He's really cool. Very... Very, what was very it you played with it? I'm well, going to do... answer this because this was. I remember <laughs> I was I was texting you the the night it was on, uh, Johnny. What was that? It was it was the Queen's Jubilee birthday. Which one? Ninety third. Ninety third birthday. That was it. You got invited to the Queen's birthday party, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. Ninety third birthday at Royal Albert Hall. Very special. Very special. Yeah, it was great. Um... Now, where is it? Let me go over here. Oh, yeah. What here you, we go. What you find in there? You ready for this? Yes. yes. So, um, when I first met Tom, we were playing at the Singapore Grand Prix, as you do. And <laughs> uh, Tom, what? he came into our dressing room and he said, which one's Johnny? I said, that's me. And he goes, oh, goes, hi, Tom. And he goes, do you mind if my band play before you? I said, you're Sir Tom. You have to take <laughs> the headline slot. And he said, no, you don't understand because we want to do it the other way around because basically my boys want to watch the Grand Prix. <laughs> so no. they... they basically yeah they gave us the headline slot so you got supported by tom jones (laughs) i've never actually thought of it that way (laughs) i would think of it that way right away straight away yeah but that was i mean you know and then that was him in the in our dressing room oh my gosh johnny's showing us a picture uh, of him with with tom tom jones and then basically then we got invited and then of course, you know, when when he was asked, would you like to collaborate? He said, that man there. And then we um, we collaborated, and that was at rehearsals right there. These are all candid photos, by the way. No one's seen these. Oh. No, no way. And basically, then we were getting ready to play on stage, 
And that was us in Tom's dressing room. I mean, honestly, you look absolutely fly. Tom could have made an effort. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Next, next to you, he looks like he's just rolled out of bed. True, but he loves these. <laughs> he loves his checkered suits, right? So yeah, he, he does. does. Yeah, and he's a sir. He's a knight of the realm. So he's a knight of the realm. Him. So yeah. we have to let him let him off for that. It's only a matter um, of a matter of years, Johnny. Then it'll be Sir Johnny Kelsey. Yeah, we can live in hope, yeah. <laughs> the first uh, Sikh knight in the world. That would be great. Yeah. Oh. So that was us on stage. There's no, other, there's no Sikh knights? No, no. There's a few There's a few Sikh QCs. Right, Queens, okay. Queen's councillors, but there's, there's no, no knights. Right, the, the campaign no. starts here. I, I was just going to say, I know what campaign I'm starting right now. Yeah. yeah, please. That would be amazing. And uh, and then it didn't stop there because then um, off the back of that, we ended up playing, I've got to get the years right now. I think it was 2019, the start of the pandemic, March, Westminster Abbey for the Commonwealth Service, the Royal Commonwealth Service. Wow. That was you and the... Um... The Doll Foundation, is that right? And the Doll Foundation. These were, these were just our drummers, and we basically kind of opened the whole thing for the for the beep. And once again, uh, no no drummers have ever played in Westminster Abbey because it's such a prestigious venue, wow. and it was in front of the whole entire royal family. And by the way, uh, it was also Meghan and um, our what's his name's last. Mm -hmm. um, Harry's last formal engagement. Oh, really? Yeah. You so if you keep if you keep watching, yeah, it's their last formal engagement. Yeah. So Johnny's um, Johnny's showing us the uh, the the footage of the R. Oh, it looks amazing. You must have blown the roof off. Oh, listen. Um, the night before we went for a rehearsal, and it was just the the gentleman from the um, there's Kate and William. Yeah. And um. Because they could only see us at this point. Uh, sorry, hear us. They couldn't see us. Um, and yeah, the night before, it was just the the lovely gentleman from the Royal Commonwealth Service Institute and the gentleman from well, he was the, the very Reverend Michael something. I can't remember his surname. Anyway, so the the place was very there. They are uh, was very um, sort of a, almost. Uh, quite eerie at night you know with no lighting and stuff it's quite eerie okay. knowing that all those kings and queens are buried there yeah and um basically once we'd finished our rehearsals the reverend leaned over to me when we were walking back and he said i think you've woken up some very old kings and queens <gasps> and i looked at him and i said yes but i think they liked it <laughs> and he said i think so <laughs> he goes i think i think they did you're you're right Oh, it made that's it very lovely. special, very special indeed. What the acoustics must have been incredible, absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah. If you want to hear the last of it, 
no, you're not going to hear it. Well, if we can find it, if we can with find it mic. online, we'll, with this we'll, mic, you won't hear it. No, no, but we'll 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 put it on the on the website on the web page. <laughs> yeah, and, and the it, BBC and... will take it right off. <laughs> yeah. But with your with your permission, if you've got um, a couple of those pictures with with Sir, to Sir Tom, we could put them on if that if that's oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, those are my own photographs that I took. Well, they're um, exclusive. Uh, so they're yeah, they're really exclusive. That is like a, a pinnacle of career, of your career, and very recent as well. So let's let's go the opposite direction, Johnny. Yeah. Growing up in your family, did you grow up in a musical family? Was there was there lots of music, whether it was live or recorded music, in your house? So, um, yes and no. Um, okay. Directly, not really. Um, but yes, because I had an uncle who played the doll, and right. I became really interested, age seven. And my dad, he sort of sent me off to the local temple for tabla lessons. So I learned tabla, which is kind of... <laughs> Oh, that's oh, so beautiful. Yeah, my tabla. So basically, um, I learned a bit of tabla, and because I was of the age of, you know, I wanted to basically. Um, do four to the floor and groove a little bit more, but they were teaching me how to count to 16 and very classical tablas, a very disciplined instrument indeed. Um, of course, I wish I'd kind of gone the whole way and learned it a lot more better than what I can play, but I'm a groove man. I just wanted to play groove, but um, I got by, it was great. Um, but what I didn't realize was tabla was a central percussive instrument around all other Indian percussive instruments. So I'm going to give you a history lesson now. History lesson. Are you ready? Right, here we go. Grandparents born in the 1900s during the empire. Right. And they were British by birth because it was under the flag. Right, <laughs> okay. Under the Raj. Yeah. And right. So after that, the Brits colonized East Africa. Yeah. And they needed skilled workers. They needed people... Um, that could graft basically my my grandfather was a he was an engineer by trade right. and he fought for the British in the Second World War he was a rifle engineer and um, he was based out of Kenya uh, and he settled in Nairobi um, they moved over for better prospects better jobs and there was lots of work at that time in East Africa. So the Brits, they colonized from Somalia all the way down to South Africa, basically, yeah. was all British. Um, and they, from Ethiopia, sorry, even further. So basically all of that coast, all of the East Coast of Africa was colonized. Yeah. So everybody, again, it was under the flag. So everyone born under that time was British by birth. And um, my parents, they went to British schools they spoke Swahili with their friends. They spoke Punjabi at home and they went to a sort of an English school. <laughs> so they were, they were multi, 
Multilingual, yeah. Multilingual from from kids. Um, and then in 1967, Idi Amin came into power in Uganda. And basically, this was uh, between 67 and 69. He basically said, anyone with a British passport can get out of my country, even though it's neighboring Kenya. And over the wireless, because they didn't have emails or mobile phones or fax machines back then, they had the wireless and over the wireless and telegram started coming into Kenya saying this is happening over the border. Yeah. My family didn't waste any time. They had British passports fled straight to England. The, bo- the doors were open and they let everybody in. They had to because they're all yeah, British. They're British. Yeah. And I, I mean, the, 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 what's the film called? Forest oh, Whitaker. Loads. Last... Oh it was um, Last King of Scotland. Last um, King of Scotland. All of this, all of these movies that have come out, Hotel Rwanda, um, Blood Diamond, all of those are around that era. And that yeah, moment. absolutely. But, but in particular, King, Last King of Scotland with um, um, uh, Forrest Whitaker um, about Idi Amin. And about people, Idi Amin, yeah. Him, him going, you're not welcome. Go, go. And wow, so... So that that was them, and so they were, they flew, they flew, flew to the UK. Yeah, came straight to the UK and settled in Leeds. My dad settled in London, um, and he was basically renting one single room because that's all he could afford at the time. Um, we were in Leeds because um, my mum's parents were already settled there, and they had a place, and they said just come and live with us. So it was one of those scenarios where there was like a whole family of five of us living in one little box room, you know, but we had to make it work. My parents made it work. So I suppose, I suppose what I want to, I, I mean, I, I, I love, I love history. I love family history. And I could talk to you just about that for, for ages. Sure. But if I'm trying to bring it to music, I suppose I'm just trying to get an idea of where, where and when you fell in love with music. So you, you, you grew up in Leeds, great city. Um, you had an uncle who was musical. You also learned uh, at the Sikh temple. Were there any other influences? Did you have any influences from school? Or was there any other family members? Or was it that, or, or would you put it on your uncle? Was it your uncle? that? It wasn't only on, on my uncle, but basically back then, and we're talking like early seventies, you know, we were kids. And as the movement happened, as more people came over, they decided that, okay, there's some people that were, um, let's say they grew up in the media industry from Kenya. You know, they used to broadcast on radio stations and things like that. So they were seeking jobs and prospects of doing something in England. So, of course, the BBC said, okay, we'll let you have two, (laughs) two hours or an hour they they offered a, a magazine program that was on tv back in the 70s and it was called nays in the gi Jeevan, which basically means new way new life um because there was still a movement that was coming over now this program because of let's just say a lot of people not welcoming the gates being opened um yeah. they would broadcast this program six o'clock on a sunday morning right just after the the farming 
program farming outlook or something yeah or while while people were still asleep from the night before so they would put that program on you know what i've just put together as you've just made that translation i'm a asian dub foundation fan and of course their track new way new life and i've just thought that, yeah that's that must be taken from that it is absolutely yeah it was yeah uh, it's one of my old bands so yeah you played in asian dub foundation <laughs> What? How did I not know that? How did you not know? I mean, that was me on Rebel Warrior. That was me. I'm what? on the video. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Kelsey, ladies and gentlemen. Some of my best gigs were Asian Dub Foundation gigs back in late 90s. I mean, yeah. talk about go. I'm sorry, I'm all over the place here, Johnny. It's okay, don't I've worry. I'm excited because <laughs> when someone says Asian Dub Foundation, immediately I'm taken back to Liverpool University. It's the first place um, that was the first gig. And I just, I remember hearing and reading, you must see Asian Dub Foundation. If you like live music and you want a party, you've got to see Asian Dub Foundation. And I was thinking, oh, I've got to go and see him then, I'm, I'm being told. And literally losing my head. And this was as a sober student as well. I was yeah. sober. And there ain't many of them. Oh, there's yeah. no alcohol or drugs going on. In no, the... exactly. Yeah. So what what was the what was the year what what years were you with Asian Dub Foundation? Asian Dub Foundation were ninety seven. Did you go to Tea in the Park with um Asian Dub Foundation? No. See I was on their album that came out at that time, uh, Community Music. That was me. I recorded all of the... It's, that is literally one of my favourite albums of all time. <laughs> it, in fact, it's, so... and it should be held up. It should be held up as one of Britain's most important albums. Of yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it was a really strong movement then. Um, we recorded it at Community Music in Faraden. So it was, uh, yeah, it was an amazing part of my, my life and my journey. Oh, and... Then, you know, I just kind of, I was doing lots of sessions back then, you know, with Fundamental and then Transglobal came along and they said, would you guest on our album? At that time, Nick and um, the other matey boy, they were leaving Transglobal. So it was kind of a, a transitional, like a swap over, if you like, uh, even though they were on, they were, yeah, they were there in the studio, but they didn't do any of the touring But anyway. Right. Well, I'm going well, to take you back a bit. Yeah, because listeners hate me for jumping then. They're, they're going to want to know how you, you made the bridge. Sorry, you know, please. Alex, in your time machine. I know. You said Asian Dub Foundation. That's me going. I know. That's you gone. I mean, I, honestly, <laughs> Buzzing is probably my one of my Desert Island discs. Yeah, if you go if you go on YouTube, just type in Rebel Warrior and you'll see the video. You'll see yours truly in, yes. you know, just play on the doll bit. Especially belting, yeah. belting. So live music. Did your folks take you to any live music? Do you remember live music being part of your life, even if you didn't really want to go? Because I know that was part of um, Alex and my um, growing up. Was sometimes we were taken to classical gigs or whatever, and maybe you weren't that into it, but it was what you were doing. Were you taken to gigs at, um, at a young age? Yeah, but only sort of like music that I didn't really want to take a big interest in at that time because of my age. Yeah. Um, you know, at schools I was listening to Led Zeppelin, Duran Duran, and at home we were listening to Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan. Yeah. Um, because he was the, cause he yes. was the music magazine's sort of superstar on that program. 
on yeah. that Nezindagi Nayajivan, and they would get him to kind of guest and do, and then they would get like other artists, Noor Jahan, loads of other just amazing musicians. And it was almost like they had a house band, and then the house band would rehearse, and then they'd get the guest singers to come in, and then they would do. So, in that aspect, in my growing up, yes. The other way um, I was influenced with live music was because my dad had loads of cousin sisters. So I'm talking like 20 or 30, we're quite a large family, <laughs> 20 or 30 cousin sisters, and they all had to get married. Now, Indian <laughs> weddings are a big deal when it comes to music, yeah. you know, and noise and booze and food, all of those things. And so even though back then, it was still sort of like, you know, mid to late 70s when they were all getting married. Um, and Indian music was very much behind closed doors. You know, we couldn't make yeah. the noise. But, you know, where all of my cousin sisters lived, they told the neighbours and said, look, we'll get, there's a wedding. There's going to be noise for a few few days, the run up to the wedding day. Um, and, you know, the neighbours accepted it. They came round and they were just fobbed off with loads of booze and food and they loved it and they just like yeah man this is great <laughs> and then um and then my uncle would get the doll out where i'd just be mesmerized and i think one one time i got my tabla out which was completely pointless because you couldn't hear it over the yeah. drum so yeah um but i i felt a part of that it was like you know i was always wanting to have a little bit of of limelight and then yeah and then I turned 10 and realized there could be something bigger. I'm interested in that because how does a young British Indian lad surrounded by such a cultural, culturally strong music, but is listening to Led Zeppelin and that, how did you see a way out of, of what you would, did you want a way out of, of the music you were doing? and just learn a guitar and play in a rock band? Or at that age, did you already think, how can I take my heritage music and add it to what I'm hearing now growing up, like rock music? It, it, it's kind of, um, it's a little bit melancholy, to be honest, if I have to describe it in that way. Um, for the reason, the joy was obviously the music. The transitional crossover of listening to Indian music at home was kind of our way of this is what this is us this is our culture uh, yes. and it's our, our parents way of showing us that who we were and just giving us an identity however the melancholy bit is because we had to find a way to fit in and the fitting in bit gave us the formula to melt those two genres together age 11 I went to secondary school, I picked up a pair of drumsticks. Never played drums in my life. Age 10 before that, the year before, or two years before, my father had one of these cigar couches, you know, the one, the leather ones with the, and the buttons are pushed in. You, do you know the one I mean? I can't, I don't know what they're called. Anyway, it was one of those and it was a double armchair. I used to straddle it the other way around. That was my drum kit with ceramic chopsticks as my as my yes i turned the the arms into a snare and and then the back of it was my tom's simp what were you playing in your head when my parents were out i would put on like led zeppelin 
So I, sp I suppose I should say just now that um, the the drumming exhibition that I had in 2019, one of my portrait subjects was Johnny Kelsey. And we it was a Chesterfield chair that we, we chose in Band on the Wall in Manchester. And, That's right. And yeah. um, Johnny was just sat there with us. Oh, this... yeah, I told you this story. Oh, my God, yeah. No, no, of course, but I, but I, yeah. I, I know the story, but um, nobody else does. Yeah, no one else does. But, um, but yeah, so the, so the portrait I did of you was, was because of that, that story, and it was, it was wrapped in cellophane. Is that right? That's right, right. yeah. And, and basically, um, it, it was in the front room, and, you know, you had to find the key for the front room to get in there because it was one of those pristine rooms that nobody were going it was only for guests that's such a 70s 80s thing oh yeah totally yeah <laughs> i would go in there when my parents were out and start and the the stereo and the the, the record player was in there and i remember turning and used to play it and straddle this chair <laughs> and play drums little did i know what i was manifesting yeah <laughs> that was you on the road i absolutely no clue and it still to this day still blows my mind and it's where I kind of realized the power of the universe and the power of this and your heart and knowing that you can manifest anything you want. So here we go. Are you ready for another mind blowing thing? Go so Led Zeppelin, I'm straddling, I'm playing drums to Led Zepp in my home, age 10. I pick up drum kit at age 11. I play it like I'm a natural years years and in that same year the magic happened 90 it, i think it might have been 97 i ended up touring with led zeppelin and that's a picture of robert plant right there and me and jimmy swapped and instruments wow check it out did you tell him this story uh robert knows yeah jimmy doesn't wow and robert's still a he's a personal friend wonderful wonderful Universe. That's all you, you don't need to know anything else. Just one word. Manifest. Universe. Manifest with your heart like you're already there. I was playing those drums like I was John Bonham. I was playing that chair like I was John Bonham. I couldn't play half the stuff, but I was manifesting being in that band. And you know how it all worked was Transglobal, Tim and Hammy you know, they ended up producing a track for walking into Clarksdale. And then we, um, yeah. Who produced that? Tim and Hammy produced one song from walking into Clarksdale. And then we toured with Led Zeppelin on their Mediterranean tour. <laughs> Six weeks. <laughs> I don't think Alex's mouth has closed for the last three minutes. Yeah. No, seriously, it's not, yeah. it's not often I'm lost for words, but that... <laughs> yeah, and um, I'm going to turn the camera around because up here, you're going to love. Oh my gosh, what are you going to show? Oh, hang on. Right, Johnny's just frozen a little bit. Oh no, here we go. Whoa! Oh, oh my well, gosh. Look. Those are all my laminates. <laughs> okay, we let's. <laughs> That's We're going to need a photo of them as well, Johnny. Honestly, it was an absolute wall of lanyards and laminates, yeah. <laughs> laminate passes. Let me just get past this image of a young Sikh boy in Leeds, first generation, sneaking into his room to play on his dad's leather sofa, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> 20 years later, 
he's playing with Led Zeppelin. I, 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 that genuinely makes me want to cry. That is the most wonderful, wonderful image. That's just amazing. Manifestation. That's it. Believe. Oh, mate. Love it. Love it. Johnny, I'm, I'm, I'm aware that your story could take hours, and I want it to take hours. Um, we, we have to talk about live gigs. That's the only time I've said that as though it's some kind of chore, because I, I just want to tear apart every year of your life. I, I tried to get somebody to do a biography, but, you know, I think... Um, I think it has to be it has to be um you rated. Oh no, it can't be. No, no. It needs to be all the all the all the warts and all, Johnny. My family would divorce me. Oh mate. <laughs> well let's do two versions. Let's do two yeah, versions. We can One, do two versions. <laughs> like you know how films have an airplane version and the yeah. normal version. So we can do an airplane version of Johnny Kelsey's life. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, we'll do that. I'm I'm getting on that, Johnny. I'm I'm calling you away from this podcast. So if if we go back to to young Johnny, um, you were you had kind of music that you you went to, but what was the first kind of music that you went right? I want to go and see these guys. I want to go to that gig. And um, what was it? The first first gig that was actually yours. I went to see Michael Jackson on Dangerous Tour. <laughs> That was Alex. That was Alex's first gig. It's your first gig. That was his first gig. Yes. Yes, Johnny. Alex. That's the universe. Yes. And then something weird happened there. Yes. Go on. The tickets that I could afford were like near the back. You were at Leeds. You played Round Hay Park. No, I didn't go to. I went Mem- Wembley. You went to Wembley, did you? Were you in London by then, or Wembley Stadium? Right. Yeah, yeah. And um, I took my wife along, and um, we were near the back, but halfway we had to come down a few steps around the tier of Wembley, and then get drinks. And then when we went back in, I said to the usher, "I said, listen, you've got to let us here because it's too cramped up there. My wife's pregnant." just made it up <laughs> he let us in and we got really good seats really good really she was really pregnant i found out that week <gasps> <laughs> amazing i know i know i didn't even know so that is something <laughs> i will always remember always yeah oh my god that's brilliant yeah. <laughs> I love it. That yeah. is brilliant. On it, already, this is too much, Johnny. You, you're just treating <laughs> us. You're treating us. This is this beautiful. Is brilliant. <laughs> well, by the way, just very, just very quickly, because this is this has been an ongoing thing. So since the very first episode, Johnny, Chris and I, even though we grew up with our mums and dads going to various classical concerts and things like that, we had to choose what's our first gig, you know, as a kid. And and Chris had a cool jazz gig with uh, Tommy Smith, uh, and mine was Michael Jackson. We laugh at that, and you come on and tell, you come on and say that you were at that dangerous tour too, and that has made my day. So, listener, if any of you were laughing at me, yeah, I got Johnny on my case here. Yeah, <laughs> loved that, it. And it was, it was amazing. I, I, I don't care about, you know, whatever related to Michael Jackson. 
As a musician and performer, he was outrageous. His band were incredible. And there was just nothing like him. It, uh, yeah. I'm so glad that I got to that I got to see him. Me too. Yeah, I'd love to look at the uh, the lineup for that for that band because I, I mean that my first big stadium gig was Eric Clapton and I, I remember I mean I've still got the, the the program and the 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 lineup of um, musicians that played on that tour was incredible Greg Fillingaines and Nathan East and just these absolute legends who never who. Amazing. Kind of maybe not household names, but if you look at the list of albums that they played on, yeah. Ray Cooper, Ray it's Cooper, unbelievable. Um, j- just unbelievable. Uh, Andy Fairweather Low was another one who was on that tour as well. Um, but yeah, I, I would love to see the the list of musicians that was on Michael Jackson's roster on the stage at that point. Do you know, I used I used to know I used to know most of them, and I feel really bad because. Without looking now, and so I won't lie, I forget her name. He had, um, oh, what's the face? The female guitarist. Who had Jennifer. Massive... Yes, that's it. She had massive mullet hair. And she. <laughs> yeah. And fans, don't forget the stage fans. Oh, yeah, I know. That blew that hair even yeah. bigger. <laughs> uh, he was outrageous. No, I can't find it. What were you looking for? The programme. I've got the programme. Yeah, if Johnny had pulled that program out, that's yeah. hilarious. So we always we always ask then, what is our, our guest? What is your earliest or your first ticket stub that you have or memorabilia? Well, Johnny has already shown us he's got hundreds of laminates and lanyards on his wall from his gigs. He's got somewhere the program for the Michael Jackson Dangerous Tour. So I'm going to accept that as your answer. The Michael Jackson Dangerous Program Tour. Yeah, I don't mind that at all. So good. Do you keep loads of memorabilia? Do you keep loads of your tickets and all that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm holding the the official program for the London 2012 Olympics. Ah. Somewhere I'm in it. Beautiful. Did you play at the closing ceremony? (laughs) Yeah, right in the middle of the stadium. You've got to be kidding me. No, we played to running up that hill. Or any occasion that you haven't played. Let's move on to Johnny the Live Musician. So when when in your life did you which were the first band or which was the first band that you played with that you started touring? Was it was it Transglobal? It was a it was a Bangra band called Alap, A L A A P, and they right. were the biggest international touring band. And when you were touring with them, Johnny, what kind of gigs are you playing? Was it more of an event band or arenas? Sort of- you were playing arenas, were you? So <laughs> you, you went straight to arenas, Johnny. So this was eighties, wasn't it? We went, yeah, eighties. Um, no, we back home we would be doing like okay, so there was loads of bands, Bangra bands, right? Um, 
two of the main popular ones out of London was uh, Hero and Alarp. And basically all the others, they came out of Birmingham. And there was loads of them at one time. There must have been about 200 Bangra bands. <laughs> it was unreal. There's wow. that many music. I know there's that a lot of, lot of talent is just kind of dispersed. I don't know where everyone's gone. But anyway, um, there would be um, a huge demand for live bands at Indian weddings. It became a thing. And mm. so um, they would basically play for like three or four hours. And this is my graft. This is my going to gigs, sitting on the speakers in the back of the band. That's me. That's That was that that time. Uh, when I joined a LARP, it was like they had a camper van, which was like amazing. It was big. It was like a big Mercedes thing uh, converted into beds. We had a cooker, a stove. It was like a, you know, it was a, like a, an English Winnebago, if you like. <laughs> and it was a, it was a splitter. So um, there'd be like 10 of us in there, completely like sardines in a can. But, and were you playing constantly? Was this like, I mean, oh, you, was this like, was this like an apprenticeship? It was like sometimes nine gigs a week, nine Whoa. functions. So we yeah. would do, we would do like a bank holiday Monday. We would do um, like an evening one on a Wednesday night because clubs in Bradford were cheaper to hire. We would do one on a Friday night, two on Saturday, two on Sunday, like that. Yeah, it was, it was madness. When you're doing this, Johnny, is there something in in Johnny's brain? that was like, I need to follow this other path. When am I going to get there? Were you thinking, how do I get to, I mean, obviously you didn't know then, but how, how do you get to playing with Led Zeppelin? How do you get to be playing in festivals and touring with bands like Transglobal and Afro-Celt Sound System? Were you doing this as a, all right, it's, it's because it was there and it was work for you. Were you already trying to get out of that as such to, to do the other kind of sort of band yeah, it, well it was a little bit like that towards the back end of my alarp days i found myself yawning on stage while i was playing uh, that's a bad sign <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i just thought like i would turn round to the drummer because he'd be at the back and i'd just be playing and yawn and then <laughs> And he would just laugh. Mummy, did you see that drummer? He just yawned. <laughs> no, nobody saw me. I, I wouldn't like, it became like that, you know, just, I was like, no, I'm just tired. I just, you had a rock and roll dream not to fulfill. Stimulated. Well, that seed I had planted and just let that one go. I just, yeah. It went out into the universe and I just kind of. Sorry, I was just going to say, if you're doing nine gigs a week, I'm guessing that the, was the repertoire changing very much or was it basically <laughs> no, so that was the it problem. same it was the, same the same thing every night that was the problem and i needed something else to stimulate myself and you know what i always did think that that band would make it huge but they just kind of never really took the leap of faith and just you know sign with a big record company or you know nobody really was it was difficult at that time. And even if they did, it would have been a one-hit wonder and then that would have been done and dusted. And but, I mean, it's pre-internet as well. I mean, it's that kind of band that would have absolutely killed it right now. 
um, because of the internet. And um... I mean, I still have my love for all of all of the bands and that I've played with. I've never burnt any bridges, and um, yeah. And then the transitional point was was um, when I had to go and audition for Fundamental because a few of their members left, and they were they were going to Croatia or somewhere um, to do some gig and they said would you um come and do a rehearsal oh so fundamental was before the other two was it yeah fundamental was, was, was before the trans right okay, yeah so but were... the thing is about fundamental and this is something that i didn't know it was my that was my that was my parting that and then it. aki from fundamental owned yeah. nation records yes that's right yeah 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 and transglobal and fun uh asian dub were on well, on, on that on that label yeah yeah sorry i've got course, a doggy saying hello <laughs> yeah and um, basically yeah it was uh, from that point it just went you know so i'm interested now in how you mentally but also perhaps physically responded to because when when i think of um fundamental transglobal afro-celts and i've seen all of you i've seen all of those for me personally they are festival bands they are, they are yeah festival, festival bands. bands yeah they are, i've seen you all at festivals yes and if i had yeah. to think of bands who encapsulates glastonbury who encapsulates these festivals well it's africa sound system for a start it's fundamental you went from a lot of big weddings you went a lot of uh, you know the with, with the bangor band how did you then cope with playing in front of a very different audience. How did you react to that? Um, I loved it even more. And I think the reason I loved it even more is because I was playing to an audience that never seen an instrument like this before. And whereas being spoiled in the Indian industry, everyone thought, oh yeah, it's a door player. Yeah, rolling their eyes. (laughs) Because it wasn't new to them anymore. It's and like so, when I, in 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 the Highlands of Scotland, if somebody gets a fiddle out, it's like, all right, yeah, oh, you play the fiddle, do you? Well done. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's actually world music and these kind of fusion groups. It wasn't to the nineties. I don't think people realise it wasn't really until the nineties with bands like Fundamental and party bands, you know, Afrocats and. It wasn't until you came along in the 90s, not the 80s or the 70s, that it really got to the mainstream and to the music critic. Yeah, true. And true. I think people have changed that. Oh, yeah, I was into world music in the 80s. Yeah, you might have been. But it wasn't until you guys and girls brought it really to local and then festival scenes in the 90s. So you yeah. really were part of um, quite an important movement. Yeah, Did a lot of a whole... Time? Yeah, I did. And you know when I know exactly when I felt it, it was at Whirly Gig in Hammersmith. Whirly Gig was probably, uh, it was like a monthly thing that they did. And right. it was like a mini WOMAD. Right. Was it in okay. a, was it in a uh, public park or? It was in Hammersmith Town Hall. Oh, was it? Oh, Town Hall, was it? <laughs> it was basically like, you know, these these dub sessions and they go on once a month and they, the purple haze or whatever they'd call them. And yeah. Everyone would just 
pile down to listen to like some dub plates and just have a nice yeah. evening back in the days you were allowed to smoke inside <laughs> yes. but um yeah. it was a bit like that but whirly gig was sort of like you know it was special it was like a mini womad inside it was like yeah. and then they'd get the parachute out and the, it would all be lit with like and um, there would be loads of materials that be fluorescent and they'll put the fluorescent lights on they'd get a big parachute out and everyone would just oh it's just amazing and then the djs and the band will be on and from those early gigs were you getting white faces at those gigs from the off yeah and so that really was that really was sort of the introduction then wasn't it yeah totally i mean they they were they were people that were peace loving there was it was like looking at a bunch of hippies really honestly from the 60s yeah, um, yeah, because yeah, yeah. they they you know you i would walk in turban beard i wouldn't feel alienated at all because they'd all give yeah. me a hug as soon as i walked in and completely welcoming and you know that'd be bobby friction would be there and he'd come and he'd have a bindi and just punk hair and you know there was a few of us back back then that sort of um we took this movement you know that crossover thing that formula that we got um yeah and that feeling of we have to fit in we need something because we need to fit in so it was myself bobby friction talvin singh um there was Nitin sawney and myself and basically we were all into slightly different quirks <laughs> if you like so i bought i bought the mixture to the bangra because this instrument is is basically is bangra you know, it's this DNA is Bangra. Um, Bobby Friction was he was the punk rebel and he bought that and that crossover. Um, Talvin Singh, he bought the Asian underground and his instrument was tabla. But he mixed that with drum and bass and people just went, fucking hell, that's amazing. Um, Nitin, he came from a jazz field and he was like, you know, a good jazz guitarist and he mixed his. And so we all kind of peeled off and we all did our thing. Um, in our own unique way and everyone kind of succeeded if you like you know in a very special way it was massive and what i find and and i, I could come across as a bit i don't know i'm i i, I might people either can say oh you're just gushing or uh, i'm being disingenuous but having having lived through that and genuinely i love all those artists yeah. i actually interviewed talvin singh as a student in in the 90s Bobby and Nihal on Radio One in the late nineties, two thousands. Their their Radio One show was everything to me. Introduced me to a whole new world. You said that you all felt like you needed to fit in. Yeah. The result of that, because that makes me feel awkward thinking that you felt like you needed to fit in. The result of that is those people you've just mentioned, yourself, Nitin Sawney. Talvin Singh, Bobby Friction, whether they think about it or not, you are British musical icons. So whether that was you fitting in, I don't know if that means you fit in, but you actually created your own thing. And it genuinely makes me feel proud of the the British music scene because it, the 90s was full. I remember people thinking, Nitin's getting a new album. He's got a new album coming out. Talvin Singh, what is this craziness? What what is you know especially with the drum and bass thing because that was from 
you know, perhaps different parts of the world. That was maybe coming from reggae places or so I, I don't know whether you felt like you fit in or actually whether you created your own thing in, you know, here in Britain. You know, um, just while you were talking there, there's loads of things that were coming into my mind. So it was a difficult time for us, you know. Um, I guess the, the person that lived the closest to me was Bobby, um, no. and he only lived down the road. But I remember, you know, being with Bobby, and we used to go skinhead bashing down in Hounslow bus garage, you know. Um, we got, you know, we got beaten up ourselves, but, you know, that was something we did because we had to, that was us fitting in. That was, you know, that was us defending of something that we believed in. You know, we believed in ourselves. We believed in all of that. They didn't know us for shit. So we were kind of like the movement that was kind of, we were there on the front line protecting everyone else. You know, my cousin was one of the front people in the Southall riots, you know, but at that time we were kind of, when I say fitting in, I'm talking about blatant in your face racism that we had to deal with while we were growing up. Yes. Even I tell you, yes. I was a drummer in school, but you know, the amount of fights I had in school and coming home with my turban under my arm was, you know, it became second nature with a bloody nose. It was, you know, it, it was a bit horrible. And that, that side of my life was a bit grim, but there was always a sense of, we want to belong. We want to, you know, we want to do something that people understand, recognize us and accept us for who we are. And that's that's kind of like the main part of it. And Bobby would tell you the same thing. You know, he he would honestly he'd hold his hand up and go, yeah, it's, it's exactly that. That's how it was. But there was also a sense of, you know, we want everyone to just love, you know, just share it and just love us, you know, for, for who we are. Well, I was going to say that how did that um, how did that impact the music? Because was there was did you feel like the love was going into the music, or was the anger going into the music, or was there a combination of the two? Well, if you ever saw Asian Dub Foundation, oh well, yeah, of course, of course, (laughs) no, I I did. Or fundamental, yeah, 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 fundamental. It was about it was about all of that and the frustration and the anger. Yes, it did absolutely. I remember, you know, we used to open with a track in Fundamental called "Blood in Transit," and I remember speaking to Aki about what that track was about. Um, And "Blood in Transit," it was like farting noises and just disgusting burps and puking and just like horrible sounds and it was actually about people being getting in the back of a truck coming to England and it would be it would be that way if you cut yourself if somebody needed to you know take a dump they just did it because it was that was the only way that was the only way and and so that track was there to portray all of that it was there to kind of and it it put a different tilt on it in my head I, suddenly I realized this is more serious than what I actually thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and certainly more political, but you know, I never wanted to take the political route and I never really understood it until sort of like Oni from Asian dub explained a lot of things to me. I've learned a lot of things along the way, but you know, again, there's that sense of fitting in that sense of belonging, you know, and you think you've made it when you've done the next big gig, but it doesn't, 
it doesn't last long it's just mm, you know wow. it's just that moment and then the week goes by in social media and then something else happened or somebody from a royal family dies and then you're yesterday's news you know well do you know what you those those bands that you've been in and been part of have given me a lot of joy and and i keep saying asian dub foundation because i've probably seen afro cat sound system more than i did asian dub foundation yeah. but there was a moment for me because because i was lucky enough to uh, to get asian dub foundation from what when they started followed them along one of the one of the nicest moments i've ever had at a festival real spine tingling genuine joy was when they played the main stage at glastonbury and yeah. there was just they just they just couldn't stop smiling they couldn't stop smiling and yeah. it was a real because they'd been built up even by the press the enemy loved them loved them loved them and then they got on that pyramid stage and and i and i just remember looking around everyone going absolutely mental and and seeing their faces and i just thought oh man they've done it they've yeah. done it and it was just it was just such it was it was one of the best live performances of any artist i've ever oh, seen oh yeah it was their pinnacle moment. Yeah, it, it totally. absolutely was. It was just, it was so beautiful. And I, I'm so glad I was there. I'm so yeah. glad I was there. Yeah. And it would never have even crossed my mind that uh, per se, that, you know, they were, um, they were any different color to me. But when I, when I listened to you, I realized that for them as well, who are some of them, the second, maybe third generation now in England, that that was them finding their place. Yeah. That was them finding their place. And Absolutely. It was, it was yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Right. We are going to take you on to a quick fire round, eh, Chris? Yeah, quick fire round. So, well, it's just another set of questions, basically. I hate these, yeah, but go on. Don't worry, don't worry. I mean, we can just treat it like any other set of questions. It's fine. Um, No, it's quick fire. It's quick fire. All right, okay. Okay, Dad. Um, (laughs) Favourite live band, the best band, yeah, best band that you've seen live. We know what we're doing here, Johnny, with these questions. We know that some of them are impossible and that's why we like it because yeah. we may ask you tomorrow and it could be a different answer and that's fine. Yeah, true. What's your answer tonight? Um, nice, nice. Jules Holland, Hootenanny. That is a great answer. You never have expected that one, did you? No. 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 I, I've been sat here for weeks. Okay. I've gone through everyone. Mind-blowing moment. Um, myself and the Door Foundation um, together with... Jules Holland opened the Millennium Dome in the year 1999, 2000. <laughs> and, and wait, it doesn't stop there because I also recorded the OVO album, which became the Millennium Dome show that Peter Gabriel had produced. So that's me. If you, if you look up a track called Weaver's Reel, I was only listening to it last week. Um, it's an incredible track and I, there's a whole story behind that track and how we recorded it as well. But anyway, you know, my kids nowadays say to me, whatever it is, and then go mic drop. Never have I known an interview. I mean, we've been chatting an hour and I think Johnny's had about seven or eight occasions where he could have done a mic drop and just left the interview. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, yeah, the Queen, uh, Westminster, Tom Jones. Uh, did I tell you about the Millennium Dome? Yeah, me. Uh, uh, Led Zeppelin, been there and done that. We were, we were also the first across the Millennium Bridge in London. <laughs> Get in. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> that one that that one that wobbled before they had to fix it. The, the wobbly bridge, yeah. yeah the fantastic. One, yeah. So I was look I was looking at the drummers going, This bridge is wobbling. <laughs> now going, it's moving and it really was. It was like Oh my god. Wow. Cut. <laughs> we opened the Millennium Bridge, but then they closed it again because yeah. they had to fix it. <laughs> I think the next the next question I think is has become, as we've spoken, it's, it's become a bit throwaway, which is, what is, what's the best gig, or what's the gig you've enjoyed the most as a performer? But that could be so many. But I, I want you to think of one where you just came off and you just thought, oh, I nailed that, or we nailed that, and you were just on a massive high. Again, there may be loads, but tell us about one. Talk amongst yourselves for a second. <laughs> <laughs> See, so what, what you I think, I think I yeah. have this. I think I have this. He's, he's flicking through his notes and his photos, and we're going to get another mic drop moment here. I can, I can tell. Yeah. It was 1969. It was the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> or so they called it the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't start. Another, that's another can of worms, isn't it? In it. Well, this band called the Sex Pistols, and they wanted someone to open for them. Okay, I think I'm getting close. Here we go. They were playing right. a gig on Christmas Day in Caerphilly, South Wales. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that one. I remember that. That was good. This is brilliant. He's, he's, he's Johnny's actually looking at visual prompts, which is right. a man after my, here we go. my own heart. Uh, 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 uh. Okay, it's coming anytime soon. Oh, yeah, here we go. Right. A hundred thousand people. So Johnny's shown us his phone, and there's a hundred thousand people. That looks to me like Hyde Park. No, it's in Prague. It's in Prague. <laughs> <laughs> you play to a hundred thousand people in Prague. And yeah. what what bands what band was that? Afro Celt Sound System. That was the Afro Celt Sound System. When, yeah. when was that? Tell us what what's what... Look at that. Okay, we're gonna have to oh. Uh, I, now we're yeah. going to have to put a link to a video to this because yeah we're going to get that so this is this really interests me because these kind of um certainly folk festivals or these um kind of crossover festivals in europe tend to get the most mind-blowing different artists on the bill can you remember who was playing on the same bill with, with you um, and i mean what was the festival anyway what was it called it was called the colors of ostrava okay yeah it was mad um i can't remember i think it was skunk and nancy van morrison yeah it was quite a few uh yeah, I don't remember the rest. Do you know what I mean, though? These kinds of festivals, they have, they tend to, especially in the centre of Europe, they kind of maybe latch on to the fact that somebody's doing a European tour this way and another 
band is doing it that way, and they go, all right, let's pop off there and da 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 da. And you end up with Jamiroquai. <laughs> I mean, Jamiroquai. <laughs> you see what I mean? Like just kind of yeah. ra- random, but actually works really well. I think they're programmed really well. Yeah, they are. What's the, what's really the most nice. unusual lineup you've you've played you've played on? Oh, we supported the Orb once. Uh, when you say we, um, Transglobal Underground, and there was a bit of a buzz, and we were just like it was just us, and then it was them for that night, and there was a shed load of people and i thought wow i've never heard of the orb i've got to check these guys out thinking it's a whole band a crew of 14 turned up and they plugged in these what was back then was um adats you remember adats yeah anyway they plugged in loads of adats behind stage and they had two massive mixing desks in the middle of the stage and i thought okay where's the drummer going <laughs> and because i'd never seen him and then there was this massive like hype lights were just incredible lights yeah. were, uh, and there was a big it was a it wasn't a led wall back then it was like monitors there was yeah <laughs> oh yeah so proper behind proper them TV yeah. proper tvs yeah yeah and, they were all wired up and i was like this is this is going to be something special this band's got to be huge who the hell are they obviously there was no internet back then um and two guys come on twiddling knobs <laughs> i was i was mostly disappointed because i i just wanted i just wanted a band i would i thought it'd be a band little did i know that their engineer backstage just press play on their ADAT machines. <laughs> I would love that. the orb. I was mostly disappointed. Johnny Kelsey. <laughs> Knob twiddlers. <laughs> That's all they did. And the, he was like, even through the disappointing drops, knob twiddling. Have you ever played with Orbital or the Chemical Brothers? No. <laughs> But it's the same thing, I know. <laughs> Knob twiddlers. I know. Knob twiddlers. They're basically, they're producers that end up like, I want to do, I want the limelight, I'm going to do this. So, you know, there's no, there's no front person. There's no, you know, all the vocal, everything's on sample. It's like, you know. So with that, so the next question was going to be, what's your worst gig as a performer? But I'm just going to ask, what's the worst gig that you've, seen in terms of uh, being a punter maybe it's the same maybe it was the orb and you were oh, performing yeah, I a, before I, I had just like we'd just done the gig and then i went into the crowd because you know everyone was waiting for them so was, was so that the worst I was, one i was kind of the yeah. on, give us oh one. no wait <laughs> come on it was the sex pistols in prague when they reformed yeah it was in Prague and it was a festival called Trutnov Open Air Music Festival. Yeah. Oh my God. They were awful. In every what? single way. They just sounded horrible, really horrible. Like, honestly, I mean. Was no. that 
was that disappointing for you? Having yeah, been really. Sort of part of the, the punk yeah, scene? But, yeah. When I was in school, I I loved frigging in the rigging. I just yeah, <laughs> that was <laughs> that was just a you know because. It was one of the first songs that I listened to that had swearing in it. And I was like, yeah, but this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is that if, if you listen to um, uh, Nevermind the Bollocks, the, the, yeah. it's crisp. It's re- I mean, it, the musicianship is, it, you know, it's not virtuosic, but my God, they are sharp. They are sharp. really on it. And... Yeah, but when I saw them live, honestly, Chris, it was a, such a disappointment. No. Either they were just pissed and stoned too much, just kind of like, nah, man, it, yeah, did, it didn't. Like you know, it was like it's like um, the other time I was disappointed like that was when I watched Whitney Houston do one of those live concerts, and then she was just, it was heartbreaking to watch. Heartbreaking. Oh, right, was it the end of her career? Yeah, she couldn't. Yeah. She couldn't hit any of her notes. No, it's, that's you know. that, that must be awful to witness. Yeah, and then it happened again recently, last last year, year before, Eurovision Song Contest, Madonna, Ike. Oh yeah. Like a prayer, are you for real? <laughs> like yeah. that's an iconic tune. You didn't hit one right note, not one. Uh, yeah, I was. I was heartbroken. I really was. Because, you know, the, the tunes that, you know, somebody in karaoke could have done better than that. It was awful, really. What is your worst gig? Have you had any any gigs where it just went wrong or or you just were like, that was a nightmare? Yeah, I remember. There's a couple, actually. Um, <laughs> I, I, I remember... Uh, in the Bang- Bangra band, both of them were in that band. Jeez. Um, in the Bangra <laughs> band, a LARP, um, the, the stage in this one particular arena, and I, I know where we were. We were in San Francisco, and we we were playing such a big stage. The monitors were basically kept to the edge of the stage, but there was another six foot that went out. So obviously, if we wanted to hear ourselves, we had to be this side the stage side of the monitors yeah and i had a bit of a solo bit in the middle of a track got straight out there and thought right i'm going to go in between these two monitors and do that i'm going to do and then after doing an amazing solo started stepping back forgetting there was a monitor behind me ended up on my ass with the drum in my face a whole gasp i had my in ears in i could hear the audience just go <gasps> like that oh no <laughs> legs in the air oh no like we're talking like you know 16000 people <laughs> and to hear happen. hear them just hear them <gasps> hear the gasp <gasps> like that and then i basically and the singer's trying to he's singing and he's trying to help me up it was one of those it was and i i I just went no i got up (laughs) put my drum back on walked right to the front of the stage bowed and carried on (laughs) brilliant i love this image of the the singer coming to help you up and you're like a 
A drunk who's fallen yeah. over the bonnet said, of a no, car. I said, no, no, you carry on, don't worry. Yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> Crack on with it. Yeah, I've got this. Yeah, I've got it. Don't worry. I know what I'm going to do here. Yeah. That is brilliant. Yeah, that oh, was amazing. Wow. That is, was, that on, was... is, is that on YouTube? No, I don't think it is. Okay, I'm, uh, shall I search for it? I'm not. Don't worry, don't worry. It's internet days, isn't it? I don't, it, it was a long time ago. Okay, I won't, I won't even look. I won't even okay. look. Honestly, it would have to be somebody with a video camera. Yeah, I won't That's look. I'm, I'm not that guy. Don't oh. worry. So, last question, the quickfire round. What is your favourite venue? And it could be festival as well, as opposed to venue. What's your favourite venue or festival to play at? Which one do you think, yeah, I love going there? You see, I want to say St George's Hall in Bristol. Really? It's just, it's not big enough. It's amazing. It's such an, uh, like, every What's time amazing played, about it? What do you just, like about it? Basically, when you, when you go there, this place is, it looks like a church and you play there and you're doing sound check and it sounds rubbish because there's no people in there. But as soon as the bodies come in, the balcony all the way around and it fills up, the sound just changes, but so does the vibe. It's incredible. Wow. I have never, ever, like I've done a full on and on your feet, everyone raving and then right down to a quiet little number with them playing tablers and just, and they are so, oh, it's just delightful, really. And it's packed every time people are so disappointed because they can't get tickets. Um, and we've only ever done one night, one hit wonders there and then off off again the next day, you know. So you are, you are, you would like... A good couple of couple of nights, two three night run. Oh yeah. yeah, we could do a three. We could do three nights in Bristol. Yeah, you have collaborated with loads of musicians, from Peter Gabriel to um, Avril Lavigne to Tom Jones, as we've as we've talked about. Who would you love to collaborate with? Dead or alive? Oh, I thought you were pointing at me. I got really excited then. I thought I was you like, point- I thought he was pointing oh. at me. The Dole Foundation needs a saxophonist. I'm in. <laughs> um, both. Uh, so, yeah, both. Dead and alive. Dead has to be Mr. MJ himself. Yeah. Yeah, man. I grew up just dreaming of not just being him, but being next to him on that stage. Yeah. But that's not going to happen anymore. Um, but Alive, I would probably go with someone like, I don't know, one of these big American Guns N' Roses or one of those kind of... What? I know. Yeah, I like that. Only for the reason they've never even seen or heard one of these things, let alone sort of, you know, incorporate, or they wouldn't know how to incorporate something. Now, you're saying one of these things, you mean you're... The doll, the doll. Yes, yeah, so, so we we need to say to to listeners. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. The door so drum. it's just behind me here. Yeah, Johnny's just next to the door. You've got one Michael Jackson song. I've got what? You've got one Michael Jackson song and yeah. one Guns N' Roses song. Oh man! You're allowed to collaborate with them and play your doldrum. Which one are you? Which which two tracks are you going to go with? I've got one for the uh, Guns N' Roses. I know go which on. one would work. Go on. Welcome to the jungle. Oh my god! With doll drums. Oh my god! That would that would work. Yeah. 
Yeah. That would really work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Michael Jackson would have to be. Oh, do you know which one I really liked was that? Got what? Got that gold skirt made for me to wear on stage. <laughs> From the video. From the video. If you watch, remember the time. He's, yeah, wearing, yeah. Black, he's wearing black drainpipe jeans, and he's wearing this gold sort of pleated skirt. Yeah, it's like it's like an Egyptian. See through it. It's like yeah. an Egyptian video, wasn't but it? But the material. I don't know what it was made of, but it had some weight to it because if you watch the video, it just kind of drops every time he moves. Yeah. It doesn't. It's not light material. It's got some weight. You know, yeah. it was what, I don't know what it was, but it it was intriguing and it was amazing. Incredible I thought of one. Video. I thought no, of one. I would say, can I just suggest uh, Bangra black or white? Bangra black and white, yeah. Yeah, yeah that like would that. definitely work. Yeah. It's just that it might be a little bit fast, but actually, no, no, I reckon it could. Go on, um, Johnny, you had one in there. The slow ones, yeah, I was going to say, they don't really care about us or Dirty Diana, one of those. Dirty Diana. I fucking love that. Dirty was Diana. that, um, I know Eddie Van Halen did um, beat it, but did he do Dirty Diana as well? No. no. Was it not him? Who did no, that? I think that was... It was another band, wasn't it? It was... Um... Was it not Jenny? We're going to be looking up all the track listings, I think. You have to. Yeah, yeah we're there's that to... wonderful story with with um, with him doing that uh, beat it. Is that it was they just pressed record, didn't they? Apparently, the story is they just played him the song. He played that for, on first listen. Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, and if you listen closely, apparently you hear the studio door closing because he literally just stood went played it, put his guitar down and just walked out of the studio. And apparently they they left in the mix, they left that, that slight um, sound from the door closing. In There's the a lots of uh, things like um, recording things like, um, on that song. So if you listen to that song, the first, the first time the backing vocals come in, they forgot to pull the fader up. No! Yeah, really? And they, and they left it in. When you hear it, you're just going to go, that's impossible. Michael Jackson, really? Huh! Like, it's in the background. And then they come in second time and the fader's up there. And then you go, oh, there it is. Uh, I've totally got to listen to that. Right. I love stuff like that. 
listen to that listen to it and then you're just gonna go oh my god how did they leave that in there and you know what it's one of those things that no one's really clocked and i don't i've mentioned it to so many people going you know did you know that bit why did they leave that like he spent millions on that album they couldn't just do do that (laughs) just put, put the fader up jeez and then after in the mix it's just like oh yeah there it is yeah all right yeah that one i forgot to put that up never mind they'll come in again they'll come in again in a second yeah i'm definitely gonna listen to that do do make sure you call my name out three times when you do (laughs) (laughs) we asked you about collaborating i genuinely would like to know if there's anyone that you still haven't seen live not not played with because i think that's different you've got a different uh, <laughs> yeah, off. Michael Bublé. I've not seen him yet. Well, and you'd really like to. <laughs> no, I, oh. he's just a he's just a name that popped up while he was. He's not known as Michael Bublé in this house. We call him Mickey Bubbles. Mickey Bubbles. Yeah. Yeah, a Bublé <laughs> bath. Yeah. I mean, a Bublé bath. Lovely guy. He seems like a lovely guy. And yeah. He does, he does, but I was I was thinking, I. I did not expect that from Johnny Garcia. <laughs> Although, you know what? Yeah, I did. I'm expecting anything. Who have you not seen live that you just think, oh, I, really, I really want to see them. It's still on your wish list, your bucket list or something. I can't, I can't wait. <gasps> Go on. Beyonce and her all-female band. I've heard that some amazing things. But I did also hear that CeeLo Green borrowed them for a little while. But all-female um, outfit incredible musicians amazing band um and she's a she's such a talented vocalist anyway she's just she's incredible outrageous. i've got yeah. some i've got i think i've got some illegal acapellas of her her old stuff and really? no i haven't really i haven't i haven't got any <laughs> oh, no. No, no, i haven't no, got no, anything no. illegal <laughs> and um yeah she's just yeah so yeah i haven't and, and i would love again to you got to hear this beyonce you got to hear this yeah, yeah she, that would sound brilliant. I mean, Jay Z's done it, hasn't he? Jay Z, um, who did he collaborate with? Um, um, was it Jay Z? Mo- was it Musawala? Well, maybe. No. But he also did the. Um, I, I feel so bad because it's one of my favorite. Is it tracks. the Mundia Tobatuke? Hold on a minute. Yes, 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 it is. It is. That's exactly it. Benham, 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 mixed with the Knight Rider. Yeah, I could have played it for you, but I've lost my little wooden bit. Oh, that would have been great. Where's your... No, no one minds waiting, because the truth is we can edit this break, so you look for your wooden thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, hold on. Uh, I could make... I could try and make one up, see if this will work. What was his name, Johnny? I feel so bad that I've forgotten his name. Who? Oh, Punjabi MC. Punjabi MC. In. Yes. It's probably a few notes high, higher than that. 
Sorry, forgive me, Johnny. What's that instrument called? This is called a dumbi. T U M B I. Dumbi means dumbi. king. Means king. King. There's one string, and it's just really. And this is a gourd. Um, a bit of goat skin goes over the top. Uh, a tiny piece of wood. I'm using a bead for a bridge, and then, and then. Amazing. That track, that Punjabi MC track. So when he released that, I happened to be living in Bradford, <laughs> right? Of all the places. Of yeah. all the places, right? Yeah. And I was, I, I was actually doing some work with, um, with the deaf community, the deaf Asian community. But Bradford, for those of you who don't know, never mind knowing that it's you, you know got a high Asian population. No, what people may not know is that outside of somewhere like Southend, Bradford has the most boy racers in the world. And all the boys drive around in their cars that are lowered to the ground, massive sound systems. As soon as I hear that, I'm transported back to Bradford and yeah. literally every other car, every two minutes passing you, at five miles an hour. They were only joking. But that bass when it comes in, boom, oh, yeah. boom, boom. And I'm just, if you want to turn a dance floor crazy, just pop that on in the middle of your set. DJ. Exactly. You yeah. could be DJ in any set you like. You put that on and everyone's going to go crazy. Or get Johnny Calcian. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> to play that. I played the doll on it, so. Are you serious? Yeah, I was in the studio with Rog, yeah. So this we, means to know. We've just we've just done all that, and then and then Johnny at the end there just goes, yeah, I, I played on that. <laughs> that's that's the sound of another mic drop, kids. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it sounds yeah, like. And and the singer in my band played the dumbi. <laughs> that's him. You, you haven't got Punjabi MC downstairs of you. You're not going to say hey, he's just downstairs. <laughs> oh, mate, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. We have got just one more question for you. And sure. So with all our guests, we ask them to recommend a, a favourite live album or a live track, or maybe it's a, live, a, a video of a band or artist performing live on a, on a YouTube video. Um, what, what do you reckon we should go and see? What would lift our hearts? A few years ago, a really dear friend of mine called Steve Knightley, he went on tour and he did a tour in cathedrals and it was just just doing cathedral tours. This tour was recorded wherever he went. Wow. And um, then I was on tour with the Door Foundation in America and my engineer happened to be the guy that did all the recording. And he was mixing the album. <laughs> And now you're going to ask me what it's called, and I don't even know. It's a shame. Shame <laughs> on me. Shame what, what, on what genre, what genre of music? It's uh, folk. It's folk. Folk. Yeah, and the band is called Show of Hands, and there's about oh, yeah, yeah. four and a half thousand people that are hating on me right now and look for not knowing the name of the album. Um, we will find it. We will track it down. But edit yeah. me in. Edit me in, and then you know, edit yourself in, and go in. Oh, it's this album, and I'll go. 
yes that's the album it's amazing you've got to go and listen to it <laughs> and i was there when it was when it was being mixed because it, it was mixed on the road nobody would ever know because it was a mobile studio and it was incredible the sound was amazing rob um, wait did the mixing for it right. it was incredible okay. yeah we will we will check that out definitely and uh, he's he's on tour and you know the funny thing is that um like we'd love to um we'd love to get imagine village get together again and we're just putting out a single which is like sorting all that out it's just um um but working with martin carthy was just he's just an amazing amazing musician and i what i didn't know is martin carthy actually taught simon garfunkel the the riff for scarborough fair wow like that's wow. his mic drop moment <laughs> yeah absolutely it's not a bad one is it no he's, he's so blasé yeah he's a total legend and such a He's so warm-hearted, such a lovely, lovely human being. Love him to bits. Well, I've just been quickly Googling um, show of hands. And, yeah, at, at this moment, we've got discography um, Cold Cuts or As You Were. As You Were, I think. As You Were. That rings a bell. That yeah. rings a bell. Okay. That was, two th that, that was 2005. Then it wasn't that one. <laughs> <laughs> It definitely wasn't that one. It was much later. Do you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll put it in the outro of the podcast and make sure that we've got the right one. Yeah, do that. It'll be lovely. And, and incidentally, he sang on my album. He sang a track called Mother Tongue, which is which was quite wow. quite lovely, actually. Um, I gave him a... I planted a little seed because he was in a bit of a writer's block, having a writer's block. And then I bumped into him at the Llama Tree Festival uh, where I was playing. And um, yeah, we were just walking around. I said, writer's block, I've got an idea for a really good song. And he, then I gave him a little seed and that was it. He was off and he wrote this amazing tune called Mother Tongue. So brilliant. Check that one out. Love it. Johnny Kelsey, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, guys. beautiful Johnny Kelsey. I'll be honest, at the end of that Zoom call, uh, Johnny left us and, and Chris and I parted ways quite quickly. I sat on my sofa, sort of staring at the laptop uh, and just thinking for ages. I, I, honestly, I was just so full of joy. What a wonderful, wonderful man. I, I was on a high for a, a couple of days after after speaking to him he's a he's a yeah he's a beautiful human being isn't he he's a sweetheart when i first um, got to know him as part of my drumming project where i photographed loads of drummers um based on their childhood experiences of drumming and in particular drumming before they had a kit or had before they had any equipment and as we touched on in that episode his thing was sneaking into this front room which was you know kept locked because it was you know as they'd say saved for best <laughs> yes. and and it was this chesterfield um kind of big chair and um, which he used to sit on the wrong way around and just use um uh was it chopsticks on. yeah yeah porcelain chopsticks I think. um but it was cut he said it was covered in um he said to me at the time that it was covered in kind of 
cellophane as well. So it was really oh, yeah, kept yeah, they, for best. Yeah, his dad was proper keeping it, you know, nice. So we went to Band on the Wall to do his portrait where they had one of these fantastic um, uh, Chesterfield chairs. And after, and my, my son Gabe was there with us. And um, and Johnny was great and just looked amazing. He, he had a gig that night, which unfortunately I couldn't go to. It was Afro-Celt sound system. Um, but he had a, um, so he was there and his turban and his amazing clothes and fantastic, massive beard. And, um, but then afterwards he said, um, do you know if there's a temple nearby? He said, yeah, there's one Cheatham Hill, I think. And he said, would you mind taking me there on the way back? So... But we ended up going to Temple with with Johnny. Luckily, we both had hats, Gabe and I, so we could cover our heads. And, um, and we took our shoes off and went in and had the most phenomenal Indian food with Johnny in this. Kind of, it was really it was a really quiet um, time, I think, um, in the temple. And there was, yeah. uh, the women behind the the kind of counter. It's like a kind of school canteen set up, and they were just <laughs> putting putting all this stuff onto our, our trays. Oh my God, it was incredible. But it was just re- a really generous thing for, for Johnny to do. Uh, yeah, it was lovely to catch up with him again. He was just great and I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed his memory and his experience of doing that on his father's sofa, playing those drums, mm. along to Led Zeppelin. And then all those years later, he played on stage him. That genuinely made me tear up. What an incredible moment. And it's yeah. nice when we when we have those things. I used to play drums on Beano annuals with chopsticks, and I never played on stage with, with Dennis the Menace. No, it went no. wrong. It went wrong. No, the but universe, then... the universe, mate. Um, oh, but was... I mean, Johnny did text me later on that night, and mm-hmm. a, an episode with so many coincidences and. Um, just lovely it moments was, yeah absolutely but there was a bit of a sad one as well because what he did was he sent me a, a a link to an obituary that was in the guardian the previous week so we recorded i think it was around about the 18th of may and the previous week almost i think it might have been exactly a week before nick page founder of trans global underground uh, yeah. died sadly passed away um and johnny had only just found out he only just found out after we'd just recorded our, our episode. So, oh, and um, I mean, and if you don't know of Nick Page, um, just look him up and then look through the vast catalogue of work that he created in his, in his life. Um, Peter Gabriel described him as a great artist and a great man who carved a unique and well-deserved spot for himself in the British music scene. And, you know, looking at this um, obituary in, in The Guardian, yeah that's that's understating it it's he's he's quite an important figure in um music from the 1990s onwards so yeah go well go well nick absolutely it it was great and and it was great to talk about those bands as well that you know nick created and that johnny has been part of uh, johnny I just didn't realize how many times I've actually seen him live, yeah. you know, with fundamental Asian dub foundation, Afro-Celt sound system, trans global underground. And it's amazing that he sort of spans various genres, you know, and playing with Tom Jones and just musically incredible. So, so yeah. we've got loads of um, videos that are up on the, the, the website now, and you can check out him playing with, so Tom, 
and um, various other incarnations. And uh, yeah, enjoy because his Spotify playlist is an absolute belter it's, as well. It's a belter. And before we go, let me just acknowledge because it is one of my favorite songs the fact that I'm talking about Punjabi MC, and I, I, I feel awful that I couldn't remember his name in that moment, and that he just pulls up that instrument and starts playing it. Yeah. Well, and and happens to drop in. Well, yeah, that's that's me on the recording. Shut up, shut <laughs> up! You're kidding me. Amazing. And if that song doesn't make you dance, then there's something wrong with you. Johnny Kelsey, you are amazing. I love that one. Thank you so much, all of you, for listening. Remember, we are all over social media: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Geek Stories Pod, and you can email us at the usual address, which is. Info at gigstoriespodcast.com. And as I mentioned at the start, the sun is shining. We are coming out of spring. We are moving into summer. And as a result, what we're going to do is on the next episode, we are going to be using some different interlude music. We've got, we've got some new interlude music. Um, I mean, it's worth, it's worth listening just for that, surely. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe um, I'll wear a different cap. <laughs> yeah, or just a, 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 a different jaunty angle. Oh, I love jaunty angles. And come on, the real important, exciting news. I'm off to Cardiff tomorrow and I will be back with my ticket stubs. Get in. Okay, see you the next time on the Gig Stories podcast. See you later. Bye.